Welcome everyone to the Daniel Pakala Show, episode number 10. Real quickly before I turn things over to my episode, which begins right after the intro music, I wanted to bring to your attention uh, some audio and sound issues I had. My voice started out really fine, uh, and then all of a sudden it dropped like four octaves. It sounds really weird. Uh, It sounds kind of creepy, actually. Um, So I had to go back uh, through the entire episode and edit every single time I spoke um, and raise the pitch of my voice so that it sounded normal. So in the event you hear my voice and it sounds really low uh, or it sounds really high because I over-edited it, uh, I just wanted you to know that uh, the reason why is because of whatever issue was going on with my mic. Uh, Everything seems to be fine now with it. Um, but, uh, you know, there's always a possibility that I could have missed a spot somewhere along the episode. Uh, anyway, this is probably my favorite episode that I've done on, uh, why Trump won and his first 100 days. And, uh, I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. Welcome, everyone, to the Daniel Pakala Show. It's good to be back, and I'll tell you why I've been gone at the end of the episode. No affiliate plugins, no sponsor plugins. I am going right into this episode, recording live with my good friends, Tho Bishop from the Mises Institute and Tyler Sharp. Hey, guys, welcome to the show. How's it going, Daniel? All right. Both of my post-debate analysis uh, comrades have joined me to give a post-election with our powers combined. We're going to provide the best post-election coverage anywhere. And we're going to discuss Donald Trump's first 100 days. But before we get into that, let's jump right into the election. (laughs) Guys, what happened? Hillary was supposed to win. The Democrats were supposed to take over the Senate. (laughs) The white racist misogynists, masochists were going to be eradicated from the world, but they triumphed in their powers of racism and homophobia. What happened, guys? Uh, it's it, it's Alex Jones's world. We're just living in it. Yes, I mean, that, yes. <laughs> that's that's what it comes down to. Uh, <laughs> every single media narrative incorrect, um, shocking. I'm going uh, to sorry. post a picture that I saw on the internet today. It is. <laughs> it is it is two two pictures one on top of the other one is um uh the the young turks and w- what's the guy's name there i can never pronounce his name right uh sankers he has a strange name you guys know what i'm talking about yeah. the guy the young turk yeah okay he has like the worst face like he was just been informed that you know a relative died and it's him with like three other people and they look terrible <laughs> and then you have Alex Jones right below it, and he's sipping champagne. It's incredible. <laughs> but um, you know, I like to hear what you guys think. Like, what happened? Why did this? Why did this turn out the, the way it did? The 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 amount of like messages I got saying, like, I got phone calls and messages the night of from from my more left leaning friends that were like, "Dude, you were you were right. How did you 
how did you know? Um, I mean, what what happened is, uh, and there's actually an article on on Medium.com, uh, like about a Democrat who who was like, "Hey, if you want to know why we lost the election, please read this." And it literally is like about like what I'm about to say. It's um, liberals uh, were in a bubble, and they let themselves they let that bubble become mainstream, um, and they assumed that everything they read was gospel with no follow up. Meanwhile, conservatives, being the underdogs in this story, did a lot of research, did a lot of digging down, was very active on the internet with WikiLeaks investigations and ultimately mobilized more. They were energized more for their candidate and came out in mass. Um, long story short. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, I think one thing that this, the, the echo chamber of the media, um, you know, they, they let, they let themselves bind their own hype and you saw it with the way that they were doing their modeling. Um, you know, like Hillary's campaign, you know, there was a, there was an article, I think it was in the Hill, uh, that came out yesterday or today about how like they weren't even doing normal daily tracking polling the last month. Um, you know, they just became so convinced of its, you know, inevitability that you know they they kind of coast a little bit. the The other side of the story um, is just you know one of the things that's, that's absolutely incredible, and I, I, you know, as much as we can talk about, it, I mean, I think it's still so hard to really wrap our heads around how insane this is. I mean, you know, you know, Trump demonstrated how useless you know, so much of normal political operations are, including like this, this you know, the, all all this makeup, you know, all this, all these articles coming up, uh, you know, that came out about how um, short-staffed Trump's political operation was. Lost in all of that was how strong the republic, the RNC political machine that had been built over multiple election cycles was. And so, basically, instead of simply duplicating what a political party should be doing. Um, Throughout the years, you know, he he was able to join with Rents Priebus's operation, and, and that made up a major part of the groundwork different, uh, difference. There, I mean, it, when you consider the fact that you know this is the Republican Party that that has made Wisconsin red on a state level, um, you know, with with Scott Walker surviving, you know, not just two elections but a recall effort. This is a state that managed to uh, elect. Uh, you know, this is a party that managed to, to get Voldemort elected twice in Florida. <laughs> it's not a normal, uh, you know, kind of conservative state. I mean, it's 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 a it's a weird one. Uh, I can say that because I'm Floridian. You know, the, the the groundwork there has has been there in a you know beyond you know long before this election, and this is why they won 2010 and 2014. Uh, you know, we we had a bubble in another sense, just the the Obama support and the Obama coalition. Um, you know, when you saw when you see that white voters that that voted that supported uh, Obama in, in 08 and 2012 are the ones that really turned the tide for Trump this time um, the Democratic Party I don't think was has been coasting for so long based off of what Obama was able to bring to the table um, you know the, the story that you know people are starting to pick up on there's there's a great piece in Vox today well I mean somewhat I mean for Vox standards uh, about about how the Democratic Party is in ruins and that's absolutely the case I mean it, the Democratic Party is yeah, it's, just, it's always popular to talk about the you know, the losing party being being in disarray. Um, you know, we, we've 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 heard this time and time again with the Republican Party in you know, in 2012. But when you consider that so much of the young politicians in the Democratic Party, Democratic Party lost in 20, 2008, 2010, 2014, this is one that just hasn't been able to get excitement for its platform uh, beyond what the Obama campaign is. And so you know, this was, I think, a, a crashing back down to reality, um, which which is it's going to be interesting to see the ramifications for that going forward. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah. they tried to stuff Hillary down their throats. I mean, I don't think anyone really wanted Hillary, and as WikiLeaks scandal after WikiLeaks scandal uh, came around, um, you know, her uh, rigging the Democratic National Convention, 
um, her colluding with the media uh, to not only rig the, the, the DNC, but then the RNC, or the, the, the GOP primary process, uh, not to mention the just tidal wave. God bless WikiLeaks hackers. God bless them. Um, but just the tidal wave of terrible things that came out from there. Uh, you know, her pay-to-play scandal. I mean, she essentially committed espionage. Um, and that's not just... I'm not just saying that to be kooky. Like, even Andrew Napolitano, um, he even he even says that she is guilty on all charges for, for espionage. But, uh, you know, at, 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 at some point... They're not voting for Hillary. They're voting because of their hatred for Trump. And I think that only carries a voter base so far. Um, yeah. Because on the other end, Trump supporters literally love him. If, if any person out there spent one second on the Donald subreddit, I mean, these guys are having a grand old party. They're having the best time with each other. And I have to admit, I love the culture that was in there. You know, I've had, um, I've, I haven't been, you know, the most pro-Trump person. I've definitely been anti-Hillary, but, you know, I'm not in Trump's corner or anything. But I, honest to God, love these people on the Donald subreddit. It just, they, they, they weren't hateful. They weren't. I mean, you look on the left and, oh, you're a Trump supporter, you're a misogynist, a racist, you know, enter in all these slurs. It's absurd. And I think the passion, I mean, this was truly a grassroots effort. And if I may continue just a little longer, this was a, this was a repudiation of the media, of Hollywood, of the establishment, of the political ruling class. And if there's one reason that I have to point to to explain why... I love this outcome so much. It's because the people, the grassroots, proved to be stronger than what was arguably the strongest political machine we've seen in Washington in a long time. She had the media in her pockets. She had the DNC in her pockets. She had the Justice Department in her pocket. She had the White House in her pocket. And a bunch of passionate supporters took down that entire thing and rejected the Hollywood stars that, you know, spoke down to everyone and said, you know, you need to vote for her. I'm with her. You know, they, they, all the media pundits, um, all the late night talk show hosts. I mean, this was a big F you to everyone. And I love it just from a cultural standpoint. I love it. I'll let you guys, I've, I've talked a lot. I'll let you guys take it from there. Tyler, do you have anything? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, and I also just want to add that he did it for two hundred million dollars less than than she did. Um, so all this like sort of rhetoric about him not being able to manage money well, I think I think he's exactly you know the right choice between the two to help with the economic issues that we're that we're facing as a country. Um, he, I mean, he proved that with his with his campaign operation. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Like the the amount of sort of hysteria that's that's come from that night, and a lot of that is from Democrats misleading their voters and missetting their like their expectations um there was a few inter like i as a compromise between me and my roommates we were watching msnbc um for the election coverage and uh they were interviewing these supporters and they had to pull the mic away from a couple of people because they were like this is ridiculous the dnc told me that we were going to win it like we were going to win this like i didn't go out and volunteer because i thought we had this in a landslide and like the, the reporters like pulling the microphone away um and they were they were so angry at their own party that night and like so disappointed um and the hysteria has continued on facebook like i i sort of posted this as a as a you know someone who became a trump supporter like the last couple months like from a, a libertarian um like like big l uh 
voter before. Um, the the amount of like like crazy responses I got. I posted a status and just said, "Hey, obviously everyone's been kind of living in their bubble. It's time to talk. If you have any questions, I'd like to sort of just." answer them for you. Um, I don't think uh, it's a time for back and forth logical debates now that that time's over. Let's just kind of have a conversation. And I still just got all these like, you know, white people calling me racist type things and all these just insane like reactions. People think that like gays and Muslims are going to be round up in internment camps and shot. And like, I had no idea that in their bubble, that's the stuff that they were being fed every day. And like, I'm being exposed to that now. And like, oh, wow, I had I would have started this conversation earlier if I knew that they literally thought people were going to be like round up and shot like in a like in a genocide or something. Um, yeah, yeah, it's astonishing. I mean, it's kind of like the, the the schools they have in Saudi Arabia, really. You know, where, where they they preach about how you know normal America, everyday Americans, you know, despise uh, you know Muslims and 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 people that aren't like that. I mean, that's that's essentially the sort of of nonstop propaganda from all different sides. Uh, that the love is being f- being fed, and it's just it's astonishing to see how many you know, like like Donald Trump is a cosmopolitan New York city guy. Like the idea that he is some some radical uh, you know anti-gay bigot is just I mean it's it's astonishing. Uh, but but one of the things that I think that this really should be sold, you know, one of the reasons that I think this you know there's, there's, it's easy to kind of cheer for this is that does anyone really think? I mean, think of how astonishing it is. Does anyone really think that when Donald Trump announced he, he was running for president that he thought that he would end up here? Like this is this is a guy that you know. It's just I love the fact that somebody with no experience, with no clue on having, you know, knowing how to become president, just decided I'm going to do it, and just through sheer will and and, and personality, uh, was was able. I mean, <laughs> we were living in Donald Trump's war. I mean, this is this is this is mine. I mean, it's I, this is this is greater than Andrew Jackson level proportions as far as just shaking up <laughs> you know, American politics. I mean, this is this is a truly just staggering historical event. We'll see how this ends up. I mean, could could that could, yeah? It's, it's quite possible this could end up horribly. I think more than likely, it's just going to be boring, which is maybe the most disappointing thing of all. But uh, it, it is it's, it's it's incredible. I mean, it's just it, genuinely you know if if you know if if, not, if this doesn't get America to believe again in itself, I mean, what what it will? I mean, it's it's just it's amazing. I I think one of the biggest things here is you know this phony rhetoric that. Trump supporters are these racists, these bigots, these homophobes, these Islamophobes, all this. I mean, the fact that it, they, they lived in an echo chamber of phony rhetoric. And when you keep, I mean, sure, I, I'll be the first to say there are some bad actors out there. I mean, there are some sure. people who probably supported Trump who really are those things. Okay, fine. But that's, doesn't, that does not represent the, the, the majority of his base. And the fact that that the left kept repeating this to themselves, right? right? Just kept repeating it to themselves. They they misunderstood their enemy. And that's the advantage that Trump had. He knew exactly who he was dealing with on the right and the left. I read this amazing post. I'll link to it on the show notes page. Uh, this will be danielpakala.com slash 10. Um, and uh, it was a post about how he pretty much uh, incorporated the, the art of war into his campaign. And he knew exactly who his base was. He knew how to rile them up. He knew how to tease his his opponents into attacking him, into being on the defensive, into spending all their airtime attacking his bombastic rhetoric uh, while giving himself all the... I mean, just it, whether or not that the psychology of this this fight was, was, was conscious in his mind or not, it, I mean, 
I think he really knew who he was dealing with, but on the left, they created this false narrative of who their opponents were. And because they did that, they couldn't actually attack their opponent. They were attacking a phantom. They were attacking, they were attacking someone uh, or a group of people that didn't exist. And for all of, the, of those out there who think that, you know, uh, a bunch of racists and homophobes just elected a president, that's not true. It's disaffection, uh, blue-collar people. I mean, look at the Rust Belt states. Tyler, this is, and I'd love for you to talk about this, um, because, Tyler, you called this a long time ago when, you know, we were hanging out having beers one night. You said that the blue-collar, or the, the Rust Belt states would all swing in his favor. And actually, Michael Moore, Michael freaking Moore, <laughs> of all people, told everyone, he says, guys, I know the people who live up there. And they're all pro-Trump. I know how they think. I know how they feel. And everything that Trump is saying is 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 resonating in them. And these aren't racist. These aren't terrible deplorables. These are just, you know, white-collar, blue-collar workers that, you know, work their standard manufacturing jobs. They're not, you know political intellectuals. All they know is that businesses are, are going overseas and they're collecting unemployment. And these people want, to them... America needs to, they want America to be great again. And I think that was the appeal. And if you saw uh, states like uh, Ohio, um, you know, we think Michigan's going to turn, Wisconsin. Um, you, you look at a lot, of, a lot of counties where Obama just devastated Romney and they are solid red. Um, and, you know, going back to Tho's point earlier, it doesn't help either that uh, the black vote, the Hispanic vote, uh, didn't come out in full force for for um, Hillary because they just weren't passionate about her like they were for Obama. But uh, this this rhetoric that his voter base, you know, th that a bunch of just terrible people in society came out to vote is just ridiculous. Um, he really resonated with the core of people uh, that were just sick and tired of what they were seeing. Right. And you know, you look uh, though we covered this in a previous episode with uh, Brexit and the rise of UKIP. Um, I mean, look at the world trend. We always lag behind our cousins across the pond, right? We see the rise of UKIP. Uh, we see Brexit. You know, they were they were saying the the eve of Brexit that it wasn't going to happen. All the polling was in favor of um, of it failing, and lo and behold, it occurred. Um, it, it was it, it did not make sense for the world trajectory. I mean, you see the rise of Bernie Sanders, the rise of Donald Trump, again, Brexit and UKIP across the pond. It does not make any sense in any conceivable reality that that entire anti-establishment movement in the Western world results in a status quo, pro-war, uh, pro-raising taxes, um, you know, establishment political machine that's not the ending that the entire world is trending to and and to me it makes perfect sense that donald trump wins this yeah and those those uh those, those states like the rust belt and, and such mentioned earlier like they they're not i think the democrats thought oh these are democratic states because they have right. been no those are where the last unions are and the blue collar unions are in the u.s and they went you know uh, Obama did awesome by choosing Biden because Biden was known as Union Joe. Um, he was the guy who went in and, and helped unions out. And those unions were, uh, and those blue collar workers were, our car manufacturers are. Those are they go where the jobs are. Like those are the last. Um, you know, it's almost like a like a relic of the old like union times uh, in those states. And and so when Trump comes and he says, Hey, I'm going to stop immigrants from taking your jobs, and I'm I'm going to make a speech in an empty factory, and say I'm going to bring your jobs right back here. 
you know, there's there's no question about it that it, they're going to turn red um, when you when you promise that. And it's 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 ridiculous that Democrats felt entitled to that vote as they felt entitled to a lot of other demographics vote um, as well. And they they I I feel like the Democrats this side took all of their supporters for granted. And like I kind of just like like. I feel like the DNC should come out and apologize for the tactics of this campaign, like misleading their voters with Sanders, misleading their voters with with fake media narratives, and leading them on to think that they were going to win, and um, and and then feeling entitled to all minority votes and the Rust Belt vote, just be, and anyone who was previously blue, regardless of reason, um, you know. It and to me, this speaks a lot of Hillary's character, thinking that people are these tools. Um, but that's you know might be a bit too far on, on the attacking end and, for this podcast. Well, and I, I, and I don't think it's a coincidence that that Wisconsin and Michigan both went for for Bernie in the primary. Yeah. Um, and so again, like that, that's the one of the the fact that Democratic Party rigged uh you know rigged the the whole you know their, their whole thing for a candidate that maybe the only candidate that could have lost to Trump. I mean that's it's <laughs> again that's that's the modern that's that's the so, modern Democratic Party. So question for you: Does this look? oddly like the ron paul gop 2012 i mean it's it, it it's almost identical you had this huge grassroots effort of young people that um were completely disenfranchised i mean romney worked intimately with the rnc to disenfranchise ron paul delegates to keep him from brokering the con uh the convention and um you know, they 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 did what they did. They turned away millions of young people that you know n never really identified with the Republican Party, but could have been uh, accepted nonetheless. And you know, Romney gets crushed by Obama. Uh, it, it's almost a very similar um, outcome or pr progression of, of, of events with the Bernie people on on the other side. See, I, I'm not quite sure about that yet. Actually, I, I need to go look. I haven't looked. I haven't seen the, the exit polling for uh, millennial voters, but I think for the most part, I mean, just from anecdotal evidence, I know of uh, just just from my own friends and and you know, social network community, most of them you know, end up falling, getting behind line for uh, for Bernie Sanders or for for Hillary Clinton after supporting Bernie. And whereas yeah. I didn't know many any many Ron Paul people that that did that. Um, I, I think the real the, the breakaway was not with young voters in the, in those states. Uh, but we were with the older voters, uh, yeah, the, the right. union type voters. that Tyler mentioned earlier. I think that's where really you had that breakaway. Um, I mean, I think all the all all of it shows that you know millennial voters were pretty high for for Clinton, which I, I if if they had if if the progressive left, the young progressive left had the same sort of principles uh, that that Ron Paul libertarians did, you wouldn't have seen that at all. You, you was, I think you would have seen a, a much you know a, a, a even larger uh, vote total for Trump. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how that progresses going on. I I did see one interesting thing that young Hispanic voters um, was actually one of the stronger Hispanic demographics for Trump. So that's that's you know an interesting thing to kind of observe going forward. But uh, uh, I do think there's a difference there. I'm looking on our good friend um, uh, Rocco from the Liberty Conservative. I'm looking on his Facebook. I I could have sworn he posted results of um, of. Uh, the different demographics. I, I don't see it. Uh, sorry for calling you out there, Rocco. Uh, but if I remember correctly, um, Hillary edged on Trump with the millennial vote. Yes, I think 56%. I could be totally wrong, but that is the figure I remember seeing. Um, however, Hillary got less than 90% 
with the black vote. And Trump absolutely destroyed uh, at least Romney's totals with the Hispanic vote. Romney got something like 26%, if I remember correctly, and um, uh, Trump got 36-37%. Um, super interesting, but uh, but yeah, I, th I think where, where he, he really uh, killed it was those um, blue-collar Rust Belt states. Um, and, I mean, what about Florida, too? Uh, that was insane to me when, when, when Florida, when he's pulled away in Florida, uh, Tyler and I were keeping like a minute to minute <laughs> chat conversation going on. And I saw all of Broward, Broward's my home County, by the way, when I saw Broward, all of the, the precinct reporting and I see the entire panhandle left and, uh, Trump has like a 50, 60,000 vote lead. I'm like, Oh my God, he won Florida. And in fact, he did. Uh, when he went on to to beat to win North Carolina, I mean, it was over at that point. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think there was really two things to that. One, I, I saw uh, it was a fast. I, I can't remember. I think it was on Politico that actually had Florida's uh, the, the 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 center Florida center part of Florida, especially on the uh, Gulf side. Um, a lot of Midwestern retirees that that was going to Trump by like sixty percent. Which was even higher than the Panhandle, where I'm from, um, which which is absolutely astonishing. And then the, the the thing that also helped in the Panhandle is I know tur voter turnout was was very very high. Um, and again, you know, going back down there, when we you know Trump did a rally back home in Panama City, I mean they were they managed to to, crank, you know, to cram in twenty two thousand people in and around um, this dinky little uh, uh, venue we have down there. Um, you know it was eleven thousand. You know, officially within the, the facility itself, which was broke all fire codes, and uh, and then it's just massive swarms of people around it just listening to it. I mean, when you see that sort of energy, uh, it's it's astonishing, and, and it's you know so, so great to see how really that human element. You know, I, I had I had there, there's 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 a wonderful uh, woman here in Auburn who kept telling me, you know what, this Trump monster vote is you know we haven't seen anything like it. You know, there's going to be all these people that aren't polled. All these people that are untouched that are going to show up and vote because they see Trump as their weapon. Uh, I I dismissed a lot of that you know, really through election day, but s seeing it come out, uh, it's it's really incredible. Yeah, yeah. I um, I, I kind of have a, have a question for you guys actually, um, and from your your perspectives. Um, so I like I I'm seeing like all these new articles and such lately on Facebook, and I it's it's either two sides. Um, if you're if you're following like more liberal press, and it's either Hey guys, um, you know what? We lost. Uh, here's how to deal with a, a new Trump world, that kind of thing. And then, but like a lot of it is like, let me post pictures of all these people um, that got beat up by Trump supporters, or let me um, and sort of just like kind of just fuel the the divide and the the scare factor a bit. Um, my question to you guys is, how do you how do you see like moving forward um, with this this sort of new uh, historical presidency. When do you think that hysteria is going to calm down, or how do like how do you think that we can like sort of reach out and calm that hysteria down if we can? Well, the nice thing I, I think one of the interesting things going forward is that I, you know, the extreme left, the, the the organized left, the 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 more uh, the the more activist left, um, the you know, sort of people that, that go to, to that you know that that clog the streets for for Black Lives Matter uh, marches. Um, which I'll separate from the Black Lives Movement as, as a whole. You know, I, I think that it's it's a fairly diverse thing, like the like the Tea Party was. Um, uh, 
But I, I think that element is going to vastly overplay its hand because the, the, you know, that's the intolerant left. That's the militant left. Those those are the people that that you know attack professors for not for not using proper gender uh, you know uh, gender pronouns. I mean that, that's the tumbler left. <laughs> and I think the more and more they act like this, the more and more it's going to scare away the more centrist left. And I think that you could very well see a situation where a President Trump benefits from that because Trump's going to be a more moderate sort of figure. I mean, he's he's a lifelong moderate Democrat. I think he's good chances are he's going to moderate like it, govern like it. You you already have uh, Rudy Giuliani going out there saying that you know the first one of the first things he needs to do is pass a stimulus bill to create shovel ready jobs. So I mean, chances are we're, we're going to end up just partying like it's two thousand nine. Um, but yeah, so so be it. Uh, yeah, at least there's no war with Russia. So silver linings. Um, silver silver lining. Got to see see that play out, and I think that's gonna, that's going to play into this big contest with the Democratic Party because having President Obama has been you know, that's been the center, the center unifying thing. Well, without that, you're going to have the Democratic Party being fighting each other the same way that the, that the Republican Party has without without being in the White House. Uh, now, chances are it makes the Republican Party worse without that infighting, but on you know. Is what it is on the Democratic side. I mean, you're going to see. I think the the race for the DNC head is going to be very, very interesting. I saw that uh, just just saw that uh, Howard Dean's jumping in. Uh, Bernie Sanders supports um, uh, who's who's the the, uh, the congressman from Minnesota, uh, Ellis, Keith Ellison. Uh, so you're going to see a very much head-to-head fight between the progressive wing and the more centrist wing. And, I mean, the, the Democratic Party is going to be at war with itself for at least four years. And with how violent, how extreme, I mean, organized, I mean, like that, that the far, far left, I think, is really going to show itself. Uh, and I, I don't think a lot of people realize exactly what that is yet. So it, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that play that, itself out. That kind of that kind of mirrors the Republican journey um, the last uh Four years as well too, with uh, libertarians coming in, and, and I think Daniel can attest to this. When we were at the Trump rally with Milo uh, hosting it, um, that you know you could hear direct pandering from local Republican politicians to libertarians, and they had to sort of tone down the usual um, sort of uh, establishment rhetoric uh, in light of this election. So yeah, I yeah I think that's that's true. Like yeah, maybe Democrats will go into an internal war, um, and they'll be the ones who are you know stopping their own. Uh, well, not that they they won the house, but if if they if they did, stopping their own speaker of the house from doing things and and such like that. Daniel, what's your what's your take on that? Yeah, well, um, I, I'm glad you mentioned kind of the pandering to libertarians because uh, when when we get to the Trump's uh, first 100 days, uh, throw. Do you have that, or would you like me to link it to you real quickly, or? I've seen it. My phone's about to die, so I don't have anything right nearby where I could pull it up with. But I've I've read it. All right, we'll 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 read it out for you and, and the listeners as well. But uh, on Trump's one hundred day, uh, first one hundred days, the second item is um, third third item, a requirement that for every new federal regulation, two existing regulations must be eliminated, and for. All the libertarians out there who were in the Rand Paul camp—that should sound very familiar, uh, because that was uh, that was one of uh, Rand Paul's uh, key points for his platform, was it not? Though, uh, I, bl- I believe so. And it, it, this, this should be a big, um, yeah, it, it is. And I, I think that uh, going forward, it's going to be very interesting to see how how Trump puts together his cabinet. Uh, there's his uh, his domestic policy team was actually very good. Um, this was one of the, the underreported things. The the head head guy was a man named John Mashburn, who was uh, a, lo- a legislative director for Jesse Helms back in the day. He's he's uh, a legend himself with, within uh, the Republican Senate. 
Um, his his daughter was Lydia Mash is well is still is uh, Lydia Mashburn, who was domestic monetary policy director for Ron Paul um, when he was subcommittee chairman, of, uh, you know, overseeing the Fed. So you know he, he's I mean I would argue that his domestic policy team uh, you know w- was better than anything Rand Paul put together as a candidate. And so now does that mean that we're going to get a a, a decent uh, administration from Trump? Not at all. We'll see how it goes. A lot of the names that are being rumored about are terrible. Um, you know, I, I think I, I tend to think that a lot of it, though, comes from the media having no, you know, not having spent five minutes thinking about what what a Trump administration would look like, thinking that this would never come to it, and so just throwing names like Rudy Giuliani and Sarah Palin out there. Um, but uh, I'm very interested to see who who comes into play in these you know, cabinet positions. Um, I saw that there's one list going around has. Uh, uh, Jeb Henserling, uh, congressman from Texas, chairman of the Financial Services Committee. He's he's an, actually an old boss of mine. Uh, he's he's read Hayek, so uh, he, he's he's very bad on on. Yeah, he's he's got some really bad votes on foreign policy. But uh, this is a guy that when he was first elected to Congress, went around talking about how he's not pro business, he's pro market. Um, and he would, he, nobody would do a better job of lighting Dodd Frank regulations on fire uh, than Jeb Henserling. So I'm really kind of you know, oh got my fingers crossed hoping that will play out. We can only hope. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, th- despite his 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 bad uh, foreign policy views, um, we we got the best outcome uh, as far as foreign policy. I mean, it, Hillary Clinton was, I mean, she, she's belligerent uh, when it comes to foreign policy. I mean, every conceivable war uh, she's voted on or supported, uh, at least, um, you know, we have someone that has had somewhat of a non-interventionist kind of streak in him. Um, you know, is he going to be non-interventionist? He's going to pull back all the troops? Who knows? But if one door ha- is there's a hundred percent chance that there's a mad dog behind it, and the other door there's only a fifty percent chance there's a mad dog behind it. Well, you know, I'll, I'll take I'll take the latter any day. Right. Um, but um, let's let's jump to uh, Trump's first one hundred days, if you guys don't mind. Um, unless there's anything else, was anything else we wanted to add to the kind of. Well- yeah, go ahead. I, I do think well, one point on, on the foreign policy side, I, the, the, the name to watch there is General Michael Flynn. Um, there's uh, Justin Romando actually has a very interesting write-up about him back when he was being rumored as a VP candidate. I mean, this is a guy that understands blowback. This is a man that credits the Iraq war with the creation of ISIS. This is a man that rejected uh, the the uh, uh, move to ally, you know, this 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 big move to to really push um, the, the Sunni uh, in, in in the Middle East and, and really taking sides in the trouble war there. This is a man who has had you know, has has had dinner sitting next to to Putin and is not a Russia hawk. This is a man that basically said, you know, Trump's right about NATO. Um, he's he's a, he was been a longtime Trump loyalist and he was on the short list to be VP. And if he becomes sec- uh, defense secretary, again, not not a guarantee. You know, he's he's bad in a lot of things. He's not particularly good on Iran, but. Step forward. I mean, we could have a defensive uh, def- defense secretary that actually you know, understands blowbacks. So uh, actually and, understands for, for any people out there looking for silver linings, they they can be found. They may very quickly be tarnished, uh, even by the time that yeah, it, it, very very short time. But there are some silver linings there. Right. And uh, actually, one thing Tyler that you mentioned to me was that uh, Putin called and congratulated Donald Trump the morning of, um, yep. which I thought was very interesting. Uh, obviously, there's no way to know for sure, but I don't think 
Hillary Clinton would have received that same courtesy. <laughs> it's largely rumored that Putin has zero respect for um, for Hillary, zero respect. But another thing I kept I kept talking about regarding foreign policy is the FBI concluded with 99% confidence that at least five foreign intelligence agencies hacked Hillary Clinton's private server. Now, they're not going to release that information, of course. They wanted to hold on to it because what does that do? That gives them immediately leverage, immediate leverage over the president of the United States if Hillary got elected, right? Uh, so you're talking about uh, someone that wouldn't be able to accomplish a whole lot diplomatically. And uh, intuitively, at least in my mind, if, if, if you have that mixture, you have a, a warmongering president um, who has uh, no leverage diplomatically. Uh, that's a scary recipe. Uh, maybe she, um, you know, overcompensates with being more militaristic, more bombastic. So, um, who knows? At least with Trump, uh, the three of us and our our friends will not be conscripted to fight Russia. I think Trump actually respects, or excuse me, I think Putin actually respects Trump. I think they're both alpha males. And they have that kind of alpha male respect for each other, whether that's misogynistic or not, blah, 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 blah. You know, who gives a shit? Uh, the point is, is that we're not going to go to war, or at least the chances of us going to war with a superpower in the world have gone from pretty likely to not so likely. And uh, I'll take that any day. <laughs> yeah, and, and Trump Trump's also the type of candidate that... Um, at least from my, this is all perception, really, uh, rather than fact. But I don't think his advisors are going to be running the country, um, like you see with with the past few presidents. Like, it's not going to be um, necessarily. Uh, like, I, I think I think he'll take a security issue, and if his advisor says something he disagrees with, it he will not. He will then not do that thing, and I think that will change the way we we address the Middle East. We, you know, hopefully, um, this is a big hope that we're not just going to be giving guns to everyone and hoping for the best. And I think Putin does see an opportunity, though, to say, hey, you know what? If you get rid of some sanctions, uh, we can crush ISIS together. And I think he sees, hey, you know, we can we can make deals. And so there is there is a bit of that selfishness of Putin. It's not total respect. There is a chess game. But at the same time, it's cool to see that, you know, these two leaders look at each other and they both know how to play chess really well. Um, and and having that that mutual respect across uh you know across the globe again yeah absolutely and i also love that the, the president of the philippines has come out and, and going from calling obama the son of a whore to uh, to praising the election of donald trump you know that's, that's <laughs> you know that's that's good fun there and what's gonna be interesting too is, is to see how europe looks in the next couple of years I mean, you, you know you have le pen rising in france um you know if if common wisdom goes and, and, and if if you really if this really is a larger um, you know kind of a right-wing populist sort of swing you know you have dramatically different leadership in, in France and, and maybe even Germany in the next few years so that's uh that's another thing that this, with this Trump is like, a, like I mean, a Reagan Thatcher kind of oh thing. it's I mean we it's it's you know, it's a whole new world yeah it really is exciting times uh, to be in uh, I promised my listeners we would move to the hun- uh, Trump's first 100 days so let's let's yes. go to that um okay. Uh, so, uh, the first column that you see on this, um, it the 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 subject line is six measures to clean up the corruption and special interest yes. collusion in Washington D.C. And I read through one. the six of these, and I was just floored. I, I I was like, this cannot be real. And sure enough, NPR posted a piece uh, within hours of me reading this, confirming a lot of this. 
Uh, so first, there's six items here. I'm going to read, speed read through them real quickly. First, propose a constitutional amendment to impose term limits on all members of Congress. I don't actually agree with that. Um, so you wrote an amazing piece on uh, the Mises Institute uh, or the Mises Wire about that. Uh, that I'll link on the show notes page. Um, honestly, I think you wrote the definitive argument to that. Um, it was very, very well written. Um, anyway... I'll, I'll finish reading these six, and we can comment on them. Uh, second, a hiring freeze on all federal employees to reduce the federal workforce through attrition, exempting military, public safety, and public health. Third, a requirement that for every new federal regulation, two existing regulations must be eliminated. Fourth, a five-year ban on White House and congressional officials becoming lobbyists after they leave government service. Fifth, a lifetime ban on White House officials lobbying on behalf of a foreign government. Sixth, a complete ban on foreign lobbyists raising money for American elections. Wow, that's uh, that's quite a lot of promises. Um, you know, in terms of special interests and collusions in Washington, I'm, I'm eager to hear uh, your thoughts on this. Tyler, do you want to take the reins? Uh, sure. Um, the you know the crazy thing is I don't know how many establishment Republicans um, are going to vote for these because uh, you know obviously if they would like to leave and become a lobbyist um, or you know uh, I don't know if the reverse will be true where you know a lobbyist becoming um, uh, a politician like like John Boehner or so. Um, but um, but yeah, so the, I think it'll be hard to to convince his own party of it, but. Uh, it may be enough popular support, you know. Uh, the the kind of the whole thing with the whole hundred days is that if he wants to get people to make sure they call their congressman and vote, he's got to sort of pick one category and make that like the issue that the voters hold their you know uh, elected representatives accountable for. They might lose their jobs on. Um, so if he can sort of keep this sort of populist momentum up while passing it, he has a good chance of passing it. I don't know if he has enough political will to sort of go through every single category right. in this hundred day promise, but of course, um, by far. The most controversial is uh, is the congressional term limits, um, and, and I uh, find it highly doubtful yeah. that Congress will vote on itself to to basically right. end their jobs. <laughs> I I don't think all the wishful thinking in the world. I I, um, I don't I don't think we will ever see congressional term limits unless it became an executive action. I think that would cause a huge huge issue yeah. with this uh, relationship with Congress. I don't see term limits ever passing. Um, right. I mean, it'd it'd be like it's, the 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 president or CEO of a company like voting for himself on the board to step down. It just doesn't really make sense. It's like the Insider Trading Act, you know. Yeah. It it passed for everyone except Congress. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. I think that the uh, I mean, and, and imagine if if Democrats are the one uh, end up being uh, the, the solid block opposing term limits. You know, Republicans can have a lot of fun. Uh, using that to to a, its a political advantage going forward, um, I do think that some of these, though, the, the, the lobbying stuff in particular, um, you know, if, if you know, Congress voting against it is going to look really, really bad. And this is where, like, if, if if Trump is is smart, I think this this should be a top priority for him because you know, let's just think about this. Way. I mean, how? I mean, if if we can kind of you know you know, play with the idea that, that Trump kind of does. Uh, you know, he he has some some uh, demagogue type sort of feature. You know, it kind of fits that sort of historical mold and to a certain extent. The the, the way that that those sort of you know, that populist leaders really are able to to consolidate power around them is by is by feeding the public some red meat, and everyone hates politicians. 
And so if, if this is what he starts out his first 100 days on, this, this is the sort of stuff that I think could get a bunch of center-left uh, independent types onto his side. So I, I think this is the sort of stuff that I, I think Trump could act on. I, I, can, I think the term limits probably won't happen. It has to be a constitutional amendment, adds extra things there. The White House stuff, he can, you know, they, they, can, they can work that all out internally. It sets a good position going forward, even if there's loopholes, and I'm sure, you know, I don't again. I don't. I'm. I'm always going to be very, very cynical with any of these sort of contraptions. Um, but just for public appearances, this is this is an area where I think if Trump focuses on his first hundred days, it can help consolidate uh, opinion around him because he is coming into this still. You know, he, he is the least popular presidential candidate to ever win election, um, which Hillary would have been the same. But so it goes. This is the sort of agenda that I that I think he will push early because everyone hates politicians and it's an easy thing to sell that doesn't really cross ideological lines. Uh, what, what I think is interesting though, if, if anyone can achieve these sorts of promises, I think it, it could be Trump, you know, yep. uh, someone like Hillary, who's, who's born and bred a politician, uh, you know, groomed herself for the last 30 years to become president. This type of stuff would never get passed. Right. I mean, she is an insider, uh, and, and many insiders like her in Washington depend on 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 you know this type of collusion in Washington D.C. as he puts it. Right. Uh, you know what interest does Donald Trump have? Uh, he's right. he's stepping down from a billion dollar job uh, to become president of the United States. Uh, you know when he's done, he's not gonna. He doesn't need you know becoming a political insider to really get anything. I mean his his wealth isn't predicated on his connections in Washington, right? Um, he runs a business. You know, he's going to throw all of his investments in a trust, and then in four to eight years, he's going to just walk away from Pennsylvania Avenue and, 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 and uh, you know, go back to becoming a billionaire, right? Uh, so he doesn't need any of this. He could easily pass this. It'll have no negative ramifications for him after he's done. And, uh, you know, he's still going to be fine. He's still going to be uh, – yeah, go ahead. Considering he won four percent of the DC vote, you know it's not like he has to be worried about offending any any major constituencies here either. So. And that should tell you everything you need. I mean, the DC vote is a microcosm of of pretty much the grassroots versus the establishment. Hillary won. What is it? Ninety five percent. I think it was kind of like ninety ninety two. Yeah, but, but Trump came in four, and Gil, uh, uh, Jill and, and Gary yeah, split about 3% each, or 3% between the two of them. So, yeah, I mean, the, was, fact that, the fact that Hillary Clinton won 92%, 93% of the Washington, D.C. vote, that should tell you everything <laughs> that you need to know about this election. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, Tyler, did you want to add anything before I, I kind of move on to the next section? Uh, no, no, I, I, I think that, that, that summed up everything. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about the, uh, the constitutional rule of law part and the American workers part too. Well, why, don't, why, don't, why don't you just uh, take it there? Yeah, cool. Um, so I, I, I sort of like, uh, I'll kind of skip around if that's all right, but like, sure. um, I kind of point to this when I was uh, debating people today and, and kind of showing them the, you know, the, like Trump is already taking his extreme rhetoric and showing that it was solely campaigning. And we saw that on the, on the night of his speech as well when he said, you know, a lot of you didn't support me. A lot of you don't like me, but I'm reaching out to you for guidance and for help. Um, and I thought that was a really cool 
move on his part. And if you control F on this document and type in Muslim, I just want to, it does not appear on this page. And I think that's very important um, because if you go down to the immigration, uh, number five under rule of law is suspend immigration from terror prone regions where vetting cannot safely occur. All vetting um, of people coming to our country should be considered extreme vetting. And I think that's, that's something reasonable. And a lot of the rhetoric surrounding, um, you know, uh, the liberal side of things was uh, he's going to ban Muslims. He's going to ban Muslims. And, uh, he even said in an interview, he's like, a Scottish Muslim does not does not bother me. And this sort of does show that, you know, this is a moving forward campaign part. Um, I think the first part appeals to, you know, the anti-establishment um, Republicans, anti-establishment Democrats, too, the anti-establishment um, voters in general. And I think this third part um, sort of helps, you know, show that he's still strong on security. But that rhetoric, that um, anti-Islamic uh, and anti, you know, name a particular like nationality is is gone this was this is uh just from regions that hey uh, maybe we shouldn't be taking refugees from wars that have so much cultural blah 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 and like a stronger argument and a more compassionate argument i think i've been showing this to people to help tone down the hysteria honestly that fifth point he, he now has Rand paul's position on this this is the same exact thing that Rand paul ran on uh so I, that that wording there so i think is worth noting um, which, again, it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. Um, seven actions to protect American workers. Uh, I think, um, you know, this is kind of where he goes a little off for me personally. Uh, I think his protectionist views um, are, um, aren't are so good. Uh, I think he's, he's wrong on a lot of this, but some of it's very good. Uh, I'll announce my intention to renegotiate NAFTA or withdraw from the deal under Article uh, 2205. Uh, NAFTA is a disaster. He pointed that out correctly. Uh, withdrawing Kermit, I think that's a great step. Second, I'll announce our withdrawal from the TPP. Great. Uh, I'll direct the Secretary of Treasury to label China a currency manipulator. Uh, not so great. Yeah. Uh, especially given that we are probably the largest currency manipulator in the world. Um, uh, I think he's a little wrong there. I think Donald Trump needs to read a little bit more uh, Rothbard and Mises and understand the Federal Reserve a little better. Fourth, I'll direct the Secretary of Commerce and U.S. Trade representatives to identify all foreign trading abuses that unfairly impact American workers and direct them to use every tool under American and international law to end those abuses immediately. That just kind of sounds like fluff. I don't see how that's really enforceable. Um, fifth, I'll let the restrictions on the pro excuse me. Let me restart that. Blah blah blah. I will lift the restrictions on the production of fifty trillion dollars worth of job-producing American energy reserves, including shale, oil, natural gas, and clean coal. Great. Uh, lift the Obama-Clinton roadblocks and allow vital energy infrastructure projects like the Keystone Pipeline to move forward. And cancel billions in payments to UN climate change programs and use the That's money to fix America's water and environmental infrastructure. I don't care for the latter piece of that, but I would rather, I mean, if you had to put, put in a, a gun to my head and tell me to take my ANCAP hat off, um, <laughs> I, 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 I would rather money go to infrastructure than uh you know, climate change programs. That's, that's hilarious. That is absolutely hilarious. Um, I don't know. There's too much to, to talk about here. Uh, Tyler, though, did you guys want to add anything? Well, I, I think the China, like the, the international stuff, especially with NAFTA and with China, I, I this is where I think you're going to see a little bit of like the art, art of the deal stuff go on. I think he's going, you know, he's made his first step. 
he's going to and, and I, I think that talking with uh, with the foreign heads of state now that he has the American people behind him now that he's in power um, I, I, I don't think we're going to get to that point with either of those things he's going to get something that lets him walk back because again this is this is all about he, he wants to build a persona uh, the, you know, the, he wants to to show people this you know I told you I'm going to be you know Mr. Dealmaker well here I am being Mr. Dealmaker um, so I think those are, are both negotiable I hope so um, especially with the case of uh, China you know, you know listing China as a currency manipulator um, the rest you know this, this is this is Trump doing Trump things. Um, <laughs> if I, if he makes a big show, if if he really turns down, if he really stops giving money to the UN, every uh, every in, in any area he can, that will be that, that's beautiful. And that I just is. hope that uh, Walter Block will be Secretary of the Tra- Transportation. <laughs> um, so we we can again his his, his interesting uh, plan for uh, uh, you know trying to to bring in f- private investment for for American roads and highways. I mean that's. That's, that's beautiful. That's yeah. That's absolutely beautiful. My uh, interesting like thing to think about is is uh, like what you said though, and him trying to be Mister Dealmaker is that a lot of these. So most of the time, when you when you start a deal, you start out with a, a ridiculous position, so you can whittle down somewhere in the middle to what you actually want, and. Like especially like on the seventh point where, uh, you know, cancels billions of payments to you in climate change. Oh, there's all this uproar. You know, don't do that. Are you anti-environmental? And then he's like, Oh no, but I'll use the money to fix our own stuff. Um, he's already has the deal there, so I'm I'm kind of worried that he's he's misplayed with a lot of this by kind of showing what he already thinks is the compromise. And I don't know if people will accept that or if like, you know, he might be this he might be viewed as this you know outside candidate. People are like, Yeah, sure. Um, He's an anomaly. Let, let's do it. But I, I really think he's going to have an issue of people watering it down to either direction, left or right, um, because he's already started out in the middle, if that makes sense. No, yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, sorry, I had uh, my co-host, uh, Abby, uh, barking her head off. I had to turn off my – you probably hear her there again. Um, she she's, she's very happy Trump's in office too. Uh, <laughs> um Let's let's talk. One thing that I just wanted to point out that I love about this so much. So the very last item on this, I'm kind of skipping around. Clean up corruption in Washington Act. Here is the blurb directly under it, and I'm quoting it. Enacts new ethics reforms to drain the swamp and reduce (laughs) the corrupting influence of special interests on our politics. Oh, my gosh. That was amazing, um, and it, that kind of speaks to the larger, larger uh, explanation of of uh, of this whole Trump movement. Uh, the fact that they had these like little hashtags and, and and quotes and sayings, it really was a culture, you know. Uh, this MAGA, Make America Great Again, you know, drain the swamp, lock her up. They had these little sayings. Um, that that became part of their culture. It, it became unifying, and um, you know Hillary didn't really have that. I know I'm kind of skipping around a bit, um, but it, it's just interesting. I mean, it's hilarious that this little quote, little saying, appears on on his hundred day contract. Um, but but it speaks to a, to a larger point that you know sayings like that really held his core together. Um, you know, something that, you know, though you and I talked about that Rand uh, struggled with, he couldn't really tie a, a solid voter block. Um, 
And I, I think that was Hillary's ultimate downfall, too. I think that's why Bernie did so well. Um, you know, he had the 1%. He had, you know, these, these kind of, like, progressive slurs that, you know, if you say them, uh, someone immediately identifies with you, right? Um, and, and he knew exactly what Sanders was running on. I mean, everyone knew free college. Everyone knew, uh, you know, Glass-Steagall Glass yeah, attacking Wall Street. Um, you know, everyone knew Citizens you know, repealing Citizens United. Hillary, I mean, you know, Hillary ended up embracing, I think, all, all, all three of those things. But her entire campaign was anti-Trump. You know, hey, you know, it, it, you know, the last two weeks of ads, you know, she was trying to pivot towards a more positive, um, you know, pro-family message, which was always struck me as a weird thing for her to run on. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't think loving mothers is the first thing that people that comes to her minds when, when people thought about Hillary Clinton. But she, you know, she had to go back to bashing Trump once the FBI email uh, yeah, letter came out and, and with all the WikiLeaks stuff. And that, that's that's another reason why at the end, I mean, he he was you know, another, her, why her message just never really uh, got out there to, the, to that swing voting demographic. So uh, she kind of played the hand. Yeah, and and, uh, and and to some degree, like, and Dana, we've had this conversation, I think, a while ago, but um, if you sort of look up old uh, historical, um, like, presidential slogans, very few successful ones um, actually reference the candidate. They all reference something else, and, and it's kind of a, a sign of a poor campaign when they're only, their major slogans are only candidate referencing. So, uh, for instance, would be um, Hillary's I'm with her, um, that sort of thing, and all of Trump's were literally policy or make America great again, you know, build the wall, locker up, that kind of stuff. And those market a lot stand better with people, Rand, um, because you know, feel they the say something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like stand with Rand. What does that tell me about Rand Paul? It tells me nothing. It makes me not want to investigate anything else. Um, that sort of thing. But I, I remember we had that conversation forever ago. I wanted to bring up that point. There's only one. I like Ike. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. If you're not Eisenhower, you can't pull it off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And General Nixon, Zombie. Nixon, Nixon had the same thing. Eisenhower and Nixon are like the only two successful yeah. ones that had self-referential slogans like that because their personalities were so uncompromising. So uh, I think we're, we're running out of time here with Tho. Tho, how are you doing on time? Do you want to do listener uh, questions or do you want to head straight to uh, final thoughts, predictions, and all that jazz moving forward? No, we can do We can I, – I got a little bit, little bit of time. Okay, okay. Um. So let me scroll through here. Um, this is a, this is a good one. Uh, what are you most excited about in the Trump presidency, and most worried about? Um, I think what I'm most excited about is um, not being conscripted. Uh, I love my job and I love the career I've built for myself, and I'm really glad I don't have to put all that on pause and potentially go and die. Uh, because of a foreign policy dispute and a belligerent warmonger. Uh, what am I most worried about? Uh, I think his protectionist uh, um, kind of beliefs, tariffs. I think, uh, you know, if we look at historical examples, that is very, very dangerous territory. You start putting tariffs on foreign countries. They respond accordingly. We get a trade war. Uh, we saw that in both World War One and World War Two. That is never a good thing. I think to incentivize um, uh, companies to to do business here, lower corporate taxes, make the the regul you know reduce the regulatory burdens, uh, just reduce the costs of doing business. Um, you know they're leaving uh, because 
they need to sell their product at that competitive price. And when they can't do that, they're going to go somewhere uh, where input prices are just lower. I mean, this is basic business, um, basic finance and econ 101. Uh, so uh, tariffs, that really uh, worries me. What about you guys? My biggest worry, is, well, for one, I don't want to see Secretary John Bolton. I don't care what position it is, um, you know, whatever department. I don't want to see Secretary John Bolton. You know, he does have this crew around him. Uh, you know, he he does have indeed a, a basket of deplorables, so to speak, with uh, with people like Bolton, with Rudy Giuliani, with Chris Christie. Um, I hopefully uh, Bridgegate. Uh, you know, where it seems that you have very clearly that that, that Christie knew what was going on there. Hopefully, that will keep him out. Um, we shall see. You know, Trump is going to reward the people that are around them, and and Rudy was, I think, attended like every single Trump rally, at least the ones that I saw. Um, so we'll, we'll I, I'm I'm hoping that he is enjoying his life of collecting speaker fee checks, and doesn't really want a day job again. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for on on him because I mean I'd, I'd hate to see him as Attorney General or Department of Homeland Security head or something like that. I mean that that would be terrible. That's yeah. gonna be the downside of Trump. No matter who it is, you know, those are the sort of policies we're going to see from him. But, you know, we're going to get those from Hillary Clinton anyway. Um, so we'll see there. Things I'm optimistic about, uh, again, you know, I, I, I'm, I think that you're going – one thing I, I do think you're going to see, especially if, again, is, is John Mashburn's domestic policy uh, chairman has any sort of influence in a Trump administration, I do think you're going to see things like block grants, uh, you know, turning Medicaid, Medicaid and Medicare into block grants, that pushing it down the state level. That's something that he's that, that Mashburn has worked a great deal on. Um, so if, if he has any sort of of position in the administration, I think you're definitely going to see that spearheaded. Uh, you know how and, and then just the, the, the thing as a whole is you know how is the the global economy over the next year plus gonna gonna respond? It's it's you know, the the stock market's up now, but there's there's a lot you know we we we're still going to end up paying for all of this monetary policy crap that we've been doing for the last eight years or so. That's going to tumble at some point. We're going to see a a panic of some sort. How Trump responds to that is going to be interesting. Will he, you know, you know let the chips hit the fan as as you know was the case in the the Doug episode, or is he going to freeze things and try to take control? I tend to think his uh, personality is more the latter, which is going to be very dangerous. Um, we'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm very very interested to see that secretary uh, treasury position, where what direction he goes in there. Uh, the, the favorite is probably his uh, finance chairman, um, Steve. I can't remember. I can't pronounce his last name. I can't remember. Uh, but he's an interesting guy. He's, you know, former Goldman Sachs guy. Um, was executive producer for Suicide Squad and and variety of other movies, the X-Men movies. His business partners with Steve Ratner, which probably isn't a great sign based off of X-Men 3. Um, <laughs> you know, he 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 also owns a regional bank. So I think I, 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 someone who who has spent far too much time in congressional hearings hearing about Dodd-Frank horror stories, I do think Dodd-Frank and Obamacare are very likely to be, uh, if not outright repealed, then at least then ex- uh, extreme damage which would be a wonderful thing. I mean, Dodd-Frank is even worse than Obamacare um, in many ways. Um, so those are just some areas where where we could get hope. Again, how he rolls out his team and who is in that team is going to be very, very interesting. If he ends up just putting in a bunch of cookie-cutter Republican types, then I think a lot of our hope in, in him being an anti-establishment sort of force will be misplaced. 
and that will set a bad sign. Um, but at least, even if that's the case, even if Trump you know, turns out to be a boring status quo sort of presidency, um, you still uh, the, the fact that you have uh, Californians and Oregon's right now talking about secession uh, makes uh, this Tuesday a a win uh, for for the liberty cause, uh, regardless of how President Trump ends up, because it, it's it, it's it's I can't even conceive of an idea of, of where he would end up being actually worse than Hillary. Uh, so at least we have that looking forward to. Uh, yeah, I um, I I think for uh, for my optimism, one is, you know, seeing someone most likely successfully take down Obamacare, and as someone who uh, runs a company within a corporation, get to hire full time employees again. Because um, a lot of companies had to cut that back, and when you work with like mostly entry level employees, you're dealing with uh, people who, you know, get three hundred dollars taken out of their paycheck a month be, for. So they don't get fined for insurance they don't have, um, and that uh, it's you know it's 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 silly. So seeing a return to entry level uh, to an entry level position, like employees who are entry level positions actually getting to keep their paychecks and working full time hours again, will be awesome. Um, I'm also optimistic uh, about the way the Republican Party is is changing as a whole. Um, I think for the first time someone got there without the explicit. Um, like the explicit uh, permission, if you will, of the Christian right, and he's sort of his own his own. Uh, he, basically, the Republican Party has a chance to stop making uh, like gay rights and abortion the focuses of the party, and get to do what Republicans are really good at, and that's uh, making decent job opportunities and you know being a bit more capitalist um, than their other establishment counterparts. And I think my biggest optimism is. Is seeing the Republican Party change focus to a more productive party in those regards. My biggest fear is it echoes those actually is you know putting cookie cutter guys in the establishment just sort of coming back in with a new face and the Republican Party acting like nothing's changed once they're in power again. So hopefully it's a new productive um, presidency. Hopefully he can accomplish in four years what most presidents can't do in in eight. Um, um, but my biggest fear is is the establishment Republicans trying to take back, uh, you know, the the old way, if you will, and and keeping like the old um, lobbyists, the old institutions that um, that think the Republican Party owes them favors around. Yeah, I, I wanted to jump on on some of some comments that both of you have made. Um, one thing that I wanted to fit in here into this conversation, and I'm so glad you brought it up, though, is secession. Uh, you know, everyone scoffed at Texas when they talked about secession following Obama's nomination. Um, I thought it was a great thing. Now California and Oregon are talking about it. Trump, you know, uh, one quick thing, pointing out just the, the hypocrisy, right? Uh, Texans were, were racist because they wanted to secede following Obama, you know, uh, but but now it's, it's, it's handy dandy uh, now that Trump's elected. I don't care for what reasons you want to secede. Right. Um I'm just so glad we're talking about this again uh, because I think this country is way too big, uh, way too overregulated. Um, and I mean, California is its own country, uh, essentially. Um, and, you know, if, if California doesn't want to abide by the same rules as the rest of the union, um, 
you know, they're. Per- I think they should be perfectly fine to go their own way, and and try out their own experiment of high minimum wage, high regula- uh, regulations, and all the you know kind of nanny state stuff that that they have over there. Let them try it on their own, um, at their own peril. Uh, don't include us in it, right? Right. I think that's a great thing because this union was founded on that idea. I mean, we seceded from from Great Britain, and the idea of the U.S. was supposed to be a union of sovereign states. Um, and secession was always, or the threat thereof, was always a check um, to keep the federal government in line. Uh, because if, if, if you begin to overreach, if you begin to step out of bounds, we can always leave. Of course, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln, who I am not a fan of in the slightest, um, we definitely disagree there, Tyler. <laughs> We've had many debates around this topic. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, regardless of what your thoughts are on, on, on Abraham Lincoln, he definitely changed that entire discussion, right? But uh, the point is, is if, if, if a state wants to leave and do their own thing, they should. They should be able to, um, and allow them to be their own laboratory of ideas, if you will, uh, and see how it goes for them. If if they fail, well, great, um, uh, great experiment and, and and case study to 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 talk about. And if they do well, uh, same. Uh, another another point though made, um, FDR. Well, I, I tied in kind of what you said to FDR about Trump, where, you know, if things go south, you know, being the executive he, he is, you know, having the ego that, you know, that he has, I can definitely see him being an FDR type, trying to just keep putting his hands into it and making, you know, propping the market up um, and, and trying to make it work. You know, as we know, though, through the depression of 1920, um, the response, and a lot of people don't know about the Depression of 1920. Why? Because it didn't last very long. It lasted less than a year. And the reason it lasted less than a year is because, one, the Fed wasn't in open market operations, and two, the federal government didn't do anything. So, um, you know, contrast that with, with the Depression in 1929, the Great Depression, and you get the exact opposite. You have FDR putting his hands in everything, trying to prop up the market, but only exacerbating the Depression and prolonging it. I do not see a Donald Trump being hands-off if the market shits itself. I mean, <laughs> let's be realistic. He's used to having his hands on everything. He's an executive. He runs these businesses, etc. So that is a, a big cause uh, to be worried about. Um, and one thing you said, Tyler, uh, one really hopeful thing that, I, that definitely I agree with is, uh, well, first, one thing we didn't talk about is his uh, tax plan on his first 100 days. Uh, we're talking a 15% across-the-board corporate tax rate. Uh, right now, it's at 35, I believe. Uh, you know, I work in I work in mergers and acquisitions. I work in M and A investment banking, um, and you know, we feel the 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 the, the devastation that taxes um, cause on a business. Uh, how they're they're always trying to spend on a bunch of crap um, to reduce their their tax burden. Um, but if they can have all that money back in their pocket, tens of millions of dollars back in their pocket, I mean, think about all the jobs uh, that could be created from that. Mix in the fact that Obamacare could, in fact, be repealed, uh, you know, and now we have people working 40 hours a week again. Um, and there, he had a part of his tax plan was uh, cutting taxes for, for middle class families as well. Um, you know, I, I talked to I, I, I'm still on my parents' plan. I'm less than 26 years old. Uh, but I was talking to some of the directors at my firm and, and what, they pay, what they pay every month for Obamacare, and I was absolutely floored. Uh, you know, cut those costs, give them more hours, um, 
and uh, you know reduce the regulatory burden and, and the tax rate for for corporations. And man, you have an entirely different market situation. Um, the mainstream media loves to talk about you know oh this will reduce. Uh, revenues, you know, government revenue by $4.7 trillion over the next 10 years. But what they don't talk about is, you know, how much will a lot of these things reduce government expenses, right? Um, so in order for a lot of this kind of pro-market stuff to work, I think um, Trump will have to also uh, start cutting some fat in, in, in Washington uh, because I, I personally think, you know, government getting less money is a great thing us keeping more money and, and, and businesses keeping more money is a great thing um but you know if, if you start getting in less money uh but expenses are still high like any business uh you're gonna have a hard time and who knows a president trump might turn to to the fed to to kind of overcompensate for that so um let's let's go ahead i know i've kept you guys for a while uh, i i've been a little bit disrespectful of both of your times but uh, i'd like to just go ahead and um uh, give you an opportunity to give closing thoughts on this whole craziness um, and, you know, what you think the next uh, four years might bring. And I'll start with Tyler. Um, yeah, I, I, th I think ultimately uh, it's going to be hard work. Um, I hopefully uh, not not just in, in the political realm and passing all these awesome new things that Trump has, but ultimately hard work and just the the rhetoric that's divided the nation the last year and a half um, and I hope that we see uh, more talking points from both sides being represented in mainstream media um, and I hope that the polarization now sort of has a chance to to end by having an outsider um, as president if that polarization you know is ever destined to end um, but um, ultimately uh, this is probably the most hopeful hopeful um, I've felt uh, about a political movement in a very, very long time, um, or probably the most hopeful I've ever felt in my life, actually. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to see that that Trump has won, um, and I think uh, you know this is this is loads better than than it going the other way. Um, but there's still like a lot of hard work that's got to be put into it, both on the healing and the political side. Um, and I, I hope and I believe that we can do it as a country. Yeah, I agree. Again, this is the biggest you know, step back for the establishment for DC. Um, I mean, it's, it's the biggest loss in, in quite some time. And that is something that again, I, th I think every libertarian should be able to appreciate. Now, again, there's a ton of bad things that Donald Trump has proposed. Um, there's a lot, you know, as, as, as Tyler just said, there's a lot of work to be done, especially in the more and more inroads we can make on the state and local level. Um, that is where I think the liberty movement needs to be focused politically. Um, you know, let, let's stop trying to find some white knight savior presidential candidate to to you know put all our hopes into. Um, chances are we're not going to get that in 2020. The LP, uh, I think, is is you know the, the LP's opportunity here, especially I think in a, in a post-Trump world. I I, I think I, I I don't feel particularly optimistic about it. Um, whereas I I was a little bit beforehand. Um, you know. So, so there's there's a, a lot of work to be done, but this is does create an opportunity. We'll see how uh, how things go from from the presidential level. Um, but if you can't enjoy the end of the Clinton dynasty uh, for as a libertarian, then you know it, we, we need to have a conversation. So uh, it, keep, keep, everyone just needs to keep working. But it, it's it's nice to enjoy this for a couple of days. Yeah, and I, I kind of just want to reiterate. Um, 
you know, uh, echoing a lot of those comments. Um, I, I posted this on a Facebook status. It got a lot of attention. I think, uh, you know, we've we've definitely highlighted a lot of good things, uh, silver linings that the Trump administration could bring. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, with some of his immigration policies, protectionist policies, and a lot of the other things we've outlined, you know, uh, this could be a, 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 a very bad presidency. And in fact, I... I, I, I lean towards Trump not being the best president, uh, certainly better than what Hillary could have brought. Um, uh, but uh, I, I'm not very optimistic in that regard. However, the reason why I'm so excited about this is not because of his policy positions, although we've, we've gone into link talking about that. Uh, it's not because of his ideology, what he believes in. What it, It's about what this whole thing represents. You had Hillary Clinton. She had the media in her in her pocket. She colluded uh, with the different um, networks uh, to not only rig the Democratic primary process and disenfranchise and uh, an entire Bernie Sanders movement, um, but she even rigged the Republican side. You look at the Podesta emails, um, and and she definitely colluded with the news networks. Uh, giving them the questions to ask during Republican debates. Um, and if you look at the, the uh, other Podesta emails, there was three candidates her administration wanted to prop up the most because they had the best chance of beating them. And what, number one on the list was Donald Trump. Um, she had the media in her hand. She had the DNC in her hand. I mean, just with how she treated Bernie and his supporters. Um, she had all the special interests. Uh, I mean, she is the political machine. And what's so hopeful and amazing about this, and I have to echo Tyler's sentiment, uh, that I've, I mean, I don't expect the president to save the world, but, um, you know, the fact that people, the grassroots, your common Joe, I mean, basically just stood up and, and gave the media, the Hollywood, the, the, the ruling class, the establishment, a big middle finger and just said no. I mean, you had this guy who didn't play by the rules. He, he, he didn't have his political advisors like Hillary and all these other establishment people did. He didn't have the ground game in a lot of key states. He didn't have all the notes. He didn't get coached during debates. He took down the entire GOP establishment off the cuff and then takes down one of the most powerful political families. You know, he's, the Clintons are done after this. Uh, Obama's legacy, done. Uh, the GOP and all of their pollsters and all of their, uh, you know, uh, campaign advisors, they're done. Everyone's scratching their heads now because someone came in who didn't play by the rules, who didn't, uh, you know, uh, have the same support structures that they did, and he wiped them all out out and to me that's why this is so amazing it's not because a bunch of racists and, and terrible people came out of the woodwork and to, to show up on on voting day um it's because people are just sick and tired of all the crap and absolutely I, and this this is what that's what that's what libertarians can really gain from this too so this this populist message can if you look at exit polling you know i think the plurality the majority of trump voters disagreed with trump on key issues they, they disagree with the deportation i think most of them i think that's like 53 percent disagree with the wall but they, they resonated with this anti-establishment populist message. And so if you're if you're a libertarian and, and you know we hold views that 
we're never going to get 50% of the country to agree with, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's going to be very hard to build some intellectual uh, case against uh, eliminating for, for eliminating public schooling uh, and try to win 50, you know, 50 plus percent on that specific point. But if you feed that emotional side, if you, if you, if you take advantage of that drain the swamp mentality, of, of the frustration people get, of the desire to show people the finger – um, that's what Ram, Ron Paul did a better job of than Rand. I think that's why he had more success. And this is what libertarians can really embrace going forward is that feed that emotional side, um, which I think more often than not, libertarians get try to be too wonky with it and try, try to make a cost benefit analysis. That's not what convinces people. Right. Populism wins. And, and it doesn't have to be attached to a specific ideology. It's anything that's anti elitist, anti establishment, you know, goes against the grain. And no matter what Trump does, we're, we're still going to be against the grain. So we right. need to take advantage of that and learn from this because this is what gives us the be- – yeah, this, this game plan, this platform here is going to give us the best chance going forward to achieve the sort of ends that we want to have. And Yeah, it, it yeah, definitely go ahead, like, uh, shows people how to win a campaign. And uh, I, yeah, so, so that's awesome. Yeah, and like that reminds me of a comment I saw on Justin Amash's uh, status because he posted um, uh, like after this election cycle, he posted him, that picture of him. Uh, Rand Paul and Thomas Massey walking out. Um, I believe it was after the drone filibuster, or was it the um, Patriot Act extension? I'm not sure, but um, but that that picture of uh, Team Liberty walking out, and the first comment that had the most likes said, "I hope you realize that Trump showed you guys that you should be more vocal about your opinions and stop trying to say things so politically." And oh I think like that yeah. that was awesome. I think I think Tho so absolutely right. Like this is a big moment for libertarians to learn how to market their message. Yeah, and 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 Tho and I covered that in our. Um our Nigel Farage versus Gary Johnson and Rand Paul episode. I'll link to it on the show notes page. Um, You know, it it, it pays to stick to, you know, what you believe in, to to what your message is. Uh, That's why Rand Paul failed. That's why Ron Paul succeeded. Um, That's why Bernie succeeded, uh, kind of, until he sold himself out. That's why UKIP and Brexit succeeded um, because they stuck to this message. They made it, they, they, they gave it a populist message that resonated with a, with a large amount of people, uh, they built a coalition, and that coalition defeated the odds. And it, uh, you know, regardless of what your thoughts are on this election, uh, we just lived through history, um, and this is going to be a monumentous historical marker uh, that will be talked about certainly for the rest of my lifetime. Uh, and it was just really cool to be a part of that and to to see the the machine, um, if not destroyed, at least fended off for a good while. Um, and I really appreciate the two of you being my uh, my go-to guys uh, for commentary uh, on the anal- on the uh, post-debate analysis, and now with this post-election analysis. And uh, uh, we're in for a wild ride uh, these next four years. And um, you know, if, if if Trump starts messing up, or or hell, if he does something great, uh, we'll have to reassemble and and talk about it at a later date. But I want to thank the two of you. Uh, for coming on and uh, being a part of the conversation and a part of my podcast. I really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Dan. Again, just, just Donald Trump is the American president. <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> and with that, folks, we're wrapping it up. Uh, all the show notes, uh, everything we, we reference will be at danielpacala.com slash 10. I'll have information about Tho and Tyler there. 
Um, and uh, thanks to all the listeners. I'll still be producing content, even though uh, the uh, the politics of it all will, will probably die down. Maybe not. Who knows? It might be boring. It might be super excited. Um, but uh, be sure to uh, have it all captured here on the Daniel Pakala Show. Thank you so much, guys. We'll see you next week. Freedom lies in everyone's heart, but it must do more than just lie there.